Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. My name is Tree Song, and I think through the power of advanced technology, we can bring someone into the studio here. Good day. Good day. Can you hear us? Uh, yeah. You can hear us a lot better now, probably that you're about five feet away, right? Uh, this is, yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm actually in the studio. Yeah. Well, welcome so. back to the studio. It's like Southern Illinois hasn't changed that much in six months. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, we were just going through the list thinking of a few things, like 710 disappeared while you were gone, and a few things like that, but a lot of things still as they were. Well, welcome back. All right. <laughs> so, uh, do we want to get into this news? I mean, I'll admit I was having trouble finding any positive news last night. I did find one eventually, but... <laughs> We got we got some difficult stuff to get through. Yeah, I don't think the fact that it's like sixty degrees here at night is positive news. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is nice weather. I mean, it's. it's I strange. don't think that's nice. I think I was shivering. I yeah. was like, had to pull out a blanket to sleep at night. Yeah, it's strange being in July and while well, now it's August. So if it was after midnight in August, you know, and having to be cold, I'm not used to it. Yeah, I mean, like, since it happens to be nice weather, I'm not going to complain, but. It does make me think about the changes in the weather. It's like whether we should worry about the weather or whether we should not. Yes. <laughs> that is the question. Well, and here's somebody who's worrying about the weather. Uh, it's an oil refinery. An oil refinery threatened by sea level rise asks the government to fix the problem. To fix the problem? Yeah. <laughs> the irony of this is just <laughs> overwhelming and the audacity of this. So uh, major oil companies are actually much more willing than Republicans to admit that that the reality of climate change. Well, Republican politicians. Yeah, Republican politicians, yeah. I, I actually know Republicans personally who admit it, but the politicians tend not to. <laughs> and there are a few explanations as to why oil companies may admit it, at least give voice service to it. I mean, if you're in business, you simply can't afford to ignore the effects of climate change if they're actually disrupting your business. Well, I mean, what, t- 10 years ago, the biggest insurance company in the world came out for climate change cause, just because they could see how much money they were laying out for climate-related disasters yeah. were increasing exponentially. Yeah, and there have been... And that was 10 years ago, so now businesses are seeing it themselves. Yeah, they're catching up because they're seeing their premiums go up, and there was actually uh, an insurance company that sued local agencies over not acting on climate change. But yeah, so now the oil companies, though, this ironic case in point is that this oil refinery in Delaware is asking taxpayers to pay for protecting it from rising sea levels. The refinery taxpayers? Is on- yeah, Wait a taxpayers. second. <laughs> the- oil companies are making exponentially so much money. It's yeah. ridiculous. And they're asking the taxpayers to take on increased burden? Yeah, apparently. And it's not even just increased burden for just day-to-day operations. It's increased burden for a problem that they are helping to cause. (laughs) So, yeah, sea levels are rising, the refinery is on the waterfront, and rising tides and extreme storms could threaten it. The Federal Coastal Zone Management Act provides grants to states for projects such as building out natural barriers like dunes, 
to protect against storm surges. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. They, they want to protect their infrastructure against the storm, and there's a public program that will pay, help pay for that. Yeah. Okay. So there, there's an irony to it, though. So Amy Rowe, conservation chair of the Sierra Club's Delaware chapter, writes, In Delaware, severe storms are eroding the shoreline and affecting homes and businesses up and down the coast, including the business of an oil refinery. Functioning of the Delaware City Refining Company property, just south of Newcastle, is threatening to increase ex- by is threatened by increasing extreme weather. In other words, climate disruption is hitting the doorstep of its source. The refinery has tried to get help submitting an application with the Coastal Zone Management Act seeking shoreline protection due to tidal encroachment, which is one way of saying sea level rise. The extent here's a quote: the extent of the shoreline erosion has reached a point where the facility infrastructure is at risk says the permit application for the company. So here here they are. It's an oil refinery. They're admitting that climate change is eroding the shore and threatening their business. I mean... Now, this particular oil refinery is contributing to climate change because it refines the tar sands oil. Yeah. So it's, it's like it produces the worst possible polluting fuel out there. Yeah. This isn't just you know. any refinery. They're there to refine tar sands oil, and they're complaining about the rising sea levels. <laughs> and not just complaining, but asking for us, the taxpayers, to bail them out. And the worst thing is, is their proposal actually will then direct the storm surges towards the nearby city, <laughs> Delaware City. Yeah. So it's just like, I mean, they have a lot of chutzpah. Hey, I said that right, chutzpah. Chutzpah. Yep. Yeah. So at least they aren't denying climate science. Yeah. So, you know, because they think they can get money, right? Yeah. So as long as there's money in it, they won't deny it. Yeah. See, that's it. All these deniers, they're denying it because they make money off of denying it. Yeah. But if there's money in it to not deny it, they'll stop denying it. Yeah. Hey, simple solution. Pay them all off. <laughs> yeah. We can start a fund. That, see, get all the CEOs, you know, here's, here's a million dollars each. Just admit that there's climate change. <laughs> I know, that's not enough. Yeah, no. They, they probably get sped in a day. <laughs> Just like, all right. Oil. We talked about oil. Now let's talk about something else dirty. Not politicians. No. <laughs> Coal. Exports are single biggest flaw in U.S. climate policy, former EPA official warns. From Newport News, Virginia, the Associated Press. Coal from Appalachia rumbles into this port city, 150 railroad cars at a time, bound for the belly of the massive cargo ship Prime Lily. The ship soon sets sails for South America. It's 80,000 tons of coal destined for power plants and factories an export of American energy and pollution. In the U.S., this coal and carbon dioxide will eventually release into the atmosphere are some of the unwanted leftovers of America allegedly going greener. The Obama administration allegedly wants to reduce power plant pollution to make good on its promise to the world to cut emissions. Yet the estimated 220 thousand tons of carbon dioxide contained in the coal aboard the prime lily equals the annual emissions of a small american power plant it's not leaving the nation it's leaving the nation's shores but not the planet in case people didn't know it's all connected right yeah they're not sending it into space they're just sending it to a different country (laughs) quote this is the biggest flaw in u.s climate policy said roger martella 
the former general counsel at the Environmental Protection Agency under President George W. Bush. Quote, although the administration is moving forward with climate change regulations at home, we don't consider how policy decisions in the United States impact greenhouse gases in other parts of the world, end quote. Especially since, you know, all of our manufacturing and companies are shifting overseas. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, you know, if we're selling this coal to another country and they're burning it to produce things and then we buy those things, I mean, then it's it's doubly our responsibility because we're the ones giving them the coal and the, we're the ones buying the products. So. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I was just in the Cayman Islands and one of the things, businesses they have there is registering corporations in the Cayman Islands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like one joke, like, you know, one guy has, has an office that he's... That address is like 150 companies. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is, is he, uh, the Cayman Islands has a rule that any business in the Cayman Islands has to be owned, you know, by, but they can register a branch there. Or, yeah. Anyway, it's really. Yeah. You can have like the Cayman Islands branch of X company and then. You know, it might just be one person. And, and then all they do is shift over, like, all the financials to there. Yeah. <laughs> and then they don't have to pay taxes. But technically, there is nothing there. There's not even an employee. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is the one employee. <laughs> it's like, who keeps everything registered with the Cayman government, right? Yeah. All sorts of ways to, to shift around this money. So this fossil fuel trade, which has soared under President Barack Obama, threatens to undermine his alleged strategy to reduce the gases blamed for global warming. It also reveals a little discussed side effect of countries acting alone on a global issue. As the U.S. allegedly tries to set a global example, wait, wait a second. It just said, Okay, it says allegedly tries to set a good. <laughs> yeah. Somebody just, may have added the word allegedly when they should. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like the rest of the world setting example and we're like the one that's behind. So yeah. I don't know. We're how do we like, set? These other countries are trying to pass environmental rules and we're like, hey, we've got some cheap coal. You want some of this? <laughs> like, so as the U.S. allegedly tries to set a global example by reducing demand for fossil fuels at home, American energy companies are just sending more dirty fuels than ever to other parts of the world, exporting worth billions of dollars every year, which is very messed up because the reason why we talk, you know, about, you know, um, increased fracking, increased, uh, oil drilling, et cetera, is to be energy independent. Yeah. <laughs> but guess what? None of this Not. fuel stays here. I mean, well, s- some of it does. Yeah. Well, most of it goes overseas. But yeah, it's like a lot of it. So in some cases, these casts off of America's clean energy push are ending up in places with more lax environmental standards where governments are resistant to tackling the missions responsible for global warming. So it's like a global shell game on fossil fuels. Yeah. Um, at the very least, it makes, it makes the U.S. look like they're doing stuff for global warming than it actually is and then just, you know, shifts the pollution somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, because this is a big issue with China because, you know, the uh, the U.S., one of the things they want to do to avoid taking action on climate is to say, oh, well, China is polluting more than we are, so why do we have to pass anything stricter? But, well, we're, we're taking this coal and we're selling it to China, and then we're buying products from them that they make using the coal. It, it's, it's only on paper that it's not our emissions. In fact, you know, all those emissions count for the U.S. too. 
Because, you know, people in China wouldn't be making all this stuff if we weren't demanding it and selling them the coal to make it. And they have, they've also used the old argument of, oh, well, if we don't sell them the coal, someone will. Well, there's only so much coal in the world. I mean, if we've got, a, a, you know, tons and tons of coal and we don't sell it, then that's less emissions that are going to go out. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting on the world market how China was, you know, selling solar to the U.S. and um, brought down the price of solar massively. Yeah. And so we're doing it the other way around. We're selling pollution. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, it, I mean, they, they, they stopped China from selling the cheap solar on the, on the world market. I mean, in the U.S. So, I mean, um, and the European Union is doing the same lawsuit that's saying you can't ship and, you know, basically kill our domestic solar market with your cheap product. Yeah. But we're allowed to s- sell polluting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it seems like a double standard to me. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's okay. It's okay to kill people in other places, but not kill people locally. Yeah. All right. <laughs> It sounds that's, like it sounds like a good political policy. Yeah, that's a very political policy. That's what they're going with. Sure, it benefits a few fossil fuel barons, but not the average person. Speaking of the effects on the average person, here's some news out from California. I've mentioned how it's really nice here, and while it's nice here, we should remember that... Remember last summer. Yeah, last summer it was like it is now out in California. I mean, you know, it was really hot, but it's an imbalance, but the other side of the imbalance is that somewhere it's hotter. And that part of that somewhere right now is California. Well, I mean, the average global temperature is breaking records. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a few months in a row now where it's not just hotter than the past records, but record, you know, record heat. It's just, yeah. No, it, I mean, every month... They've records breaking records now. Yeah, I mean, every month c- consecutively has been a record-breaking month. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a drought that's breaking a new record, you know, beyond the records that are already being broken. Data released on Thursday by the U.S. Drought Monitor shows that 58% of See California... See how connected we are? The Drought Monitor. Yeah. We, we got connections. We got connections with the Drought Monitor. We know them. So, 58% of California is facing exceptional drought, the most severe condition on the center scale and the worst ever recorded in the state. Quote, you keep beating the record, which are still for all from this year. Climatologist Mark Svoboda of the National Drought Migration Center told the Los Angeles Times, noting that this is the first time such dryness has ever been recorded in California since the federal government started releasing drought reports in the 1990s. The latest assessment is a startling jump from two months ago when the entire state was first labeled as being severe drought or worse. The report cited shrinking reservoir levels, river gauges and groundwater observations as reasons for increasing the drought warning. Quote, California is short more than one year's worth of reservoir water, or one point, or 11.6 million acre feet for this time of year. Meteorologist Brad Rippey wrote in a report. They're one year behind in water. Yeah. I mean, that's when it starts getting really serious, too, because, you know, I, I've commented on this earlier. There have always been storms. There have always been droughts. There's always been that sort of thing. But... When it's such We've a drought, reserves. Yeah, you had reserves. So one like year. Like here, I mean, drought. it was really dry last summer. Yeah. But if you wanted to, you could just pump water nonstop and water your garden. Yeah. It disappeared instantly, <laughs> but at least you know you kept things alive. Yeah. But then if it keeps happening year after year, 
Then you get one year behind, two years behind, three years behind, and before you know it, you know, this water that millions and millions of people are depending on and this water that we grow a lot of our food with is just going to be gone. I read a report that that's happened that in Darfur, the reason why there's all the um, civil war there is climate refugees, that they're all coming from a region that used to have get snow melt and get you know rivers and lakes and now that's all gone yeah and so people are streaming out of that area and causing strife in other areas where they you know had a balance of resources you know so yeah i've heard similar things too about the situation in syria that people who aren't into climate research don't immediately get the connection because it wasn't in the same year but a few years ago there was you know, severe drought for a couple of years in that region, and then people got displaced, and then it was shortly after they got displaced that more conflict started happening. And then, you know, people outside start intervening, and it turns into chaos. So it's an increased risk factor. Well, there's no oil there, right? So we haven't intervened. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's not, not enough oil there for us to care, so we're just letting whatever travesties happen there. Do you like listening to our show? We talk a lot about serious issues. We do. Do we make it interesting enough to continue to listen? We try. (laughs) All right. What is climate change doing to our mental health? Mm -hmm. About a year ago, I started wondering about the impact of climate change on mental health. After all, depression is already the second leading cause of disability around the world. Depression can be kicked off by stress, and watching the ocean inch up to your doorstep or seeing drought destroy your crops and take away your livelihood can be pretty nerve-wracking. I checked the most recent IPCC report. At the time, there was nothing on mental health. I checked news articles, not I checked the scientific literature, and found a few things, mostly from Australian scientists. So I headed down under and found a small but dedicated research community. Based on mental health and climate change in Australia, pretty much starts and ends with a very modest and soft-spoken psychiatric epidemiologist. (laughs) Yeah, epidemiologist. I didn't think those would go together. (laughs) Yeah, That's That's pretty interesting. Yeah, before this article, I never heard of a a psychiatric epidemiologist, but it makes sense, like... Outbreaks of mental illness, that's interesting. Helen Berry of the University of Canberra is responsible for 27 papers and book chapters published on the subject since 2011. Her studies don't focus on specific psychiatric diagnosis, but general mental health and well-being so. How often do you feel distressed? How are you sleeping? Do you talk to others about your distress or do you keep it to yourself? In the few months... Australia stopped being such a lonely outpost for people studying the mental health effects of climate change. The new IPC report actually has a health chapter that deals with the issue. The American Psychological Association, Eco-America, recently released a report on the broad psychological effects of climate change. Actually, um, my brother brought me, like, it's it's more like a pamphlet, but the size of a big book. Mm -hmm. And it's literally multiple articles on the psychological 
aspects of denying climate change. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'll try to bring read it next week. Yeah. Because I mean, I just flipped through it, and it was very interesting because um, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah. You know, that sounds like a good read. And actually, you know, I never really thought of it this way, but that's one of the issues you go through with grieving is denial. You know, so if we start thinking of instead all these people who are in denial about the issue, instead of seeing them as these you know evil people who are out to destroy the world and realize denial is one of the stages of grief maybe that can actually help us figure out how to how to deal with people who are in denial so you can chalk up one more health challenge to climate change but there is a pearl in the oyster Barry says quote climate change and associated weather related disasters could be such a serious threat that they could actually propel people to come and work together, she said, end quote. Climate change might make people willing to take some sort of concerted action to do something useful for their community. Quote, that's the pearl, she said, that all this could lead to a growth in social capital, the best thing for mental health, end quote. Yeah. So that's where people can feel empowered to work together to create, you know, what is it, the word for like a fossil fuel community fossil free i fossil said fossil free. fuel community <laughs> we've already got a fossil fuel community <laughs> fossil free community yeah. um you know uh, a climate ready community a disaster yeah. prepared community all those things make it so that um people work together and it makes a big difference yeah and the social aspect of that is really good you know it's both good it's very practical in order to share people's resources, but it's also practical from the psychological and social aspect, too. You know, you don't feel as alone if you're talking about it with other people. All right, so here's we talk about local foods sometimes. Here's a fun story about local foods. I mean, in an unexpected place. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't, we just talked about it in schools. Yeah, we had it in... Uh, uh, yeah, we've talked about it in schools. We've talked about that it in hospitals. That was unexpected. Yeah, in hospitals. Yeah, I mean, it's starting. <laughs> it's starting to go into unexpected because you don't think of like farm to fork as being able to do massive amounts of food. Because yeah. most of those places need lots of food. Yeah, you usually think like, oh, I'm one individual. I'm going to go to the farmers market. Right. And that's that's good. That's important. But there are also institutions doing it. Well, I mean, they have the SIU farm here. That provides local food to SIU's cafeteria. Yeah. And, you know, you think, okay, it's just a little bit. But I just read in the paper, you know, it's like thousands of pounds that they produce yeah. every year. It's a lot. And, you know, it might not be a lot in how much the school actually has to use, but it's a lot from the farmer's point of view. Yeah. And so together they just keep, you know, can keep ramping up because there's the demand. Yeah. Yeah, once you show the demand, you can just keep building it and... Here's a new place where they're doing it. It's, it's uh, how, do, how do you have a farm-to-table program that could revitalize prisons? A unique prison rehabilitation program launching in California may be the most powerful interpretation of farm-to-table states have ever seen. San Diego's Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility is building sites for its new farm and rehabilitation meals. That's F-A-R-M, farm. <laughs> it's a program that's a fresh project that hires inmates as farmers. It teaches them sustainable agriculture practices, and if the food is approved by prison health authorities, we'll put the prison the produce on inmates' cafeteria tables. So they make the food, they 
They grow it, they harvest it, and they ultimately eat it. Facilities will accommodate 20 inmate farmers at first, organizers told the Huffington Post, and will include three acres of farmland on prison grounds, worm castings off-site, a classroom, and raised garden beds accessible to the prison's relatively large disabled population. Quote, Within those spaces, we're going to teach community gardening, composting, and water-wise gardening, said Watana Tucker, the program's coordinator, and a California Correctional Health Care Services executive. Quote, We're purchasing a cistern using gray water and capturing rainwater for use. Well, this is great because, I mean, not only are they... Well, I mean... From a point of view of anybody, mm-hmm. growing food is big because you actually can see the fruits of your labor. Yeah. The vegetables, too. <laughs> but definitely the fruits of your labor. Yeah. And here, they're, at, they're training people to, you know, do something. Yeah. And they can see the, that. And even better, um, when they get out of prison, they don't want to come back in because they have a skill now, right? Yeah, they have a skill. Part of it is trying to get a. They want one thing they want to do is get a certi- certificate for them verifying their agricultural skills. There have been some programs, a couple of programs, kind of like this elsewhere, and in those cases, inmate farmers had prison reentry rates of only five to ten percent, which is quite a difference from what California system is usually having of sixty-one percent. Wow, that means sixty-one percent come back into prison. Yeah, that means over half that go out come back in again. They're not doing a very good job of convincing them that. <laughs> no, and they're keeping them coming back. But with programs like this, it might reduce it to only 5 per 10%. Because, you know, working on the food helps keep them active, happy, focused well, on something Especially in else. California, sustainable agriculture is a big deal. Yeah. And so if they're trained in sustainable agriculture and they come out, yeah, they have access to a job really easy. Yeah. And I don't think any agriculture program would have a problem hiring, a, you know, an ex-con. Yeah. You know? Because especially one with this high level of skills. Yeah. You know. It's a good program. Oh, yeah, looks like we're running out of time. Oh. Got five minutes left. <laughs> today, today is National Raspberry Cream Pie Day. I've never had raspberry cream pie. Neither have I. Somebody make one quickly and call us and let us know you have it so we can come over. <laughs> yeah. We won't tell everybody, just Tree Song and I. Yeah. If you can make it in five minutes, we've got it covered. <laughs> All right, Saturday is Chinese Valentine's Day and Daughter's Day. Saturday is National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. And apparently don't buy one from Walmart. Have you seen that video going around where the ice cream sandwich doesn't melt, the one from Walmart? Oh, I heard about that. I didn't click on it. I don't know if it's real or not. (laughs) Yeah. But I I need to find out if that's real or not. There's not any real ice cream in it. (laughs) It's also National Mustard Day, but... I wouldn't recommend ice cream day and mustard day on the same day. Like they don't sound like they would go well together. Sunday is Friendship Day, and International Forgiveness Day, National Watermelon Day, and Sisters Day. Yeah, you could squish that all together. Get a friend, forgive your international friend, your sister, and have watermelon all together. Right? Yeah, and you forgive your friends for that mustard ice cream. <laughs> so. Oh, Tuesday is work like a dog day. Something. Dogs don't work. What are you talking about? <laughs> dogs just. I yeah. don't know where that saying comes from. Dogs play. Wiggle your toes day on Wednesday, and Thursday is National Lighthouse Day. Yeah. Not around here. <laughs> just like, do we have lighthouses around here? No, we don't really have shores like that, so I, you could build a lighthouse anyway, I guess. <laughs> Along the Mississippi, don't they have? Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe that's true. We Not right around here, but maybe around the Mississippi. 
So yeah, we've got happenings coming up here in Carbondale in southern Illinois. It's a happening place, but we need to hear more of your happenings. Yeah, if you haven't sent your happenings to us, the happening guys, your happening might not happen because you didn't send it to us. Yeah, that happens sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what happens? The happening's not happening. Okay, good. I was just trying to make enough happenings happen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've got Carbondale Community Farmers Markets. They've been going on a long time now, and they're still going strong. It's on Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon at the Carbondale Community High School. Community Farmers at the Community High School. Yeah, that's your local chance to get some local food, like we were talking about. A, de- a day of peace, love, and happiness, Saturday, August 2nd, at 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock at the Irma Hay Center. That's up uh, East Willow Street. You can join the Women's Center, Hopewell Baptist Church, and the Irma Hay Center for a back-to-school bash focused on peace. Activities will include door prizes, face painting, a wall of peace, information and resources, the clothesline project, and a performance from KNOWXNA, and a bounce house. A variety of activities and items will be offered for free, including food, backpacks with school supplies, medical and dental exams, vouchers for uh, girls, hairstyling, haircuts for boys, Bibles, and clothing. Wow, this is a big deal. Yeah. It's like a back-to-school a day of peace, love, and happiness. Yeah. That's a really good deal. Yeah, that's a good deal. It's a good day, celebrating so br- kids going to school. Yeah, bring your kids there. A back-to-school bash focused on peace. Yeah, maybe you'll even get your kids excited about school again, in case they're not. It's a good time. Also, this looks like a really good time. Shiwade with Bolokata, Weedy, and Jibril. Uh, Masters Bolokata, Konde, Weedy, Varma, and Jibril Kamara join Siwade, the Southern Illinois West African Drum Ensemble, for two epic events. They're going to have a dance class over at Willow Street Studios from 3.30 to 5 p.m., and they're going to have a performance over at Curbside at 9 p.m., and this is on Saturday. So Saturday, 2.30 p.m. is the dance class, 9 p.m. is the performance over at Curbside, and they've got pre-sale tickets if you can reach Suwade in time. It's getting close to the events, less than 24, a little more than 24 hours, but uh, $9 at the door. And for more on that, Curbside is over at 227 West Main Street, and I've, I've been to Suwade events before. I haven't been in a little while, but it'd be great to catch them again because it's always a fun time, the drumming and the dancing. and A lot of people dancing. Yeah, a lot of people dancing, a lot of people show up. Get the rhythm of the earth going and people can't stop Yeah, shaking it. And if you haven't seen them in a while, especially if you haven't seen them at all, it's definitely worth checking out. Labyrinth Peace Garden Restoration Group, Saturday, August 9th. From 10.30 at 10.30 a.m. at the Guy House Interface Center. That's not this Saturday. That's next Saturday. So mark your calendar. And then also the No Fracking Fair at the Illinois State Fairground. Um, August 13th and 14th. Mark your calendars for that. Um, if you would like to receive our newsletter, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. And um, it has links to all kinds of things. Yeah. Basically, anything we talked about has a link to somewhere. Mm-hmm. All right. Everything is connected. <laughs> yeah, this has been another exciting and hopefully informative half hour of your community spirit. If you would like to send us an email, again, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. 
Yes, and thanks for listening, and thank you all for making it back in the studio. It's good to have you back here in the studio coming at us live. Yeah, it's in good shape. I mean, it's fixed it up a lot. Got all the things working well, looks like. Yeah. New studio room. Just need to make sure that it keeps going, eh? Yeah, just got to keep sustaining the studio. Oh, you just noticed I was here. <laughs> yes. I didn't Huh? She's like, she's just like, yeah. she's so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're surprising everyone. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we will see you here next week on the radio.